Welcome to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Your Money. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we explore how women create a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. And as a certified financial planning professional, wealth advisor, author, and speaker with over 30 years experience, professional women hire me to gain the right knowledge and confidence to prepare for those planned and unplanned changes that inevitably happen as they pursue their own version of a wealthy life. And a wealthy life is not just about the size of our nest egg. True wealth is found through experiencing all the things that are really important and meaningful to us as we live our lives. So although in this podcast, I like to focus on interviewing amazing women who are pursuing that wealthy life on her terms. From time to time, I'm gonna introduce you to men who love and support the women in their life and who are dedicated to helping their wife or their partner or their sister or their mother expand their life in the ways that are really important to them. So I couldn't be more proud and excited to introduce you to my first male guest someone who has championed the women in his life to become who are who they are born to be from the beginning of his life and i'm fortunate to be one of those women because without this man in my life i would not have the wealthy life that i am fortunate to live every week i remind you that wealthy living has that financial component to it but who we become as we travel through life's journey, the values that we embrace, the passions that we're able to express, the choices we make and the love we share, that's really what encompasses a true wealthy life. And that's what I'm really passionate about, helping women understand all those different aspects of living a full and beautiful life. So I'd like to introduce Dr. Gordon Leftenant, who's a board certified anesthesiologist with a 40 year career working in rural, suburban and urban hospitals. He graduated from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, received his MD from State University of New York Downs State Medical School, did his residency at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, and completed a neurosurgical anesthesia fellowship at NYU. Dr. Leftenant has served on medical missions in three different countries. He also served in the Navy as a naval flight surgeon, participating in military exercises on three continents. Dr. Leftenant was born into a family with a rich military history and service to their communities. His father was a policeman on Long Island and elected to the local school board. Actually, he was school board president. His aunts were some of the first black female officers in the military. And Gordon was named after his uncle Samuel, who was a Tuskegee Airman killed over Austria in 1944. You know, Gordon's broad and distinguished career is actually overshadowed by his complete commitment to sharing love with whomever he comes across wherever he happens to be in the world. So 
Dr. Gordon Leftenant, my sweet, loving husband. Welcome to my show. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here with you, sweetie. <laughs> well, you know, it's, of course, uh, a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to share you with my audience and to uh, give them an opportunity to learn more about me by learning some about you. So let's start out with talking about just a little bit about where you grew up. And, you know, as we go through our interview, we're going to talk about how you and I met, uh, how our, you know, what kind of marriage that we have created together, some of the people that we've uh, been able to impact positively in our life. So start off by telling us where you grew up. Well, I grew up in uh, Amityville on Long Island, New York. Um, and... Um... And yes, it is that Amityville. The Amityville Horror House is there in, in town where they've, the book was written and uh, subsequently the movies were um, written from, from that story. And I have been driven past that house maybe more than once. It is funny uh, how we're just attracted to that kind of thing, aren't we? <laughs> like, what is the local... Uh, point of interest and in Amityville that's one of them right that's the one mm -hmm. the one the one <laughs> um so I, I had a I had a very ide idyllic childhood of growing up I'd say um Amityville at that time uh of my growing up was really uh in the process of going from being a rural community to a suburban community of New York City it's a, it's about 45 miles outside of New York City so as it was growing up, we had the best of both worlds. We had easy access to the big town, but day-to-day -day living, we played in the woods and played in the cornfields as kids. Um, and uh, I had great family, great uh, parents. And and you had uh, your extended family living nearby, didn't you? Absolutely. My grandparents lived literally across the street. We could look across it, look the street and... Uh, I frequently, if I told my parents that I was bored, I, I got sent across the street to go help my grandfather in the garden or my grandmother picking grapes or apples because they were, to, to a large degree, subsistence uh, farming at that time. And so your father was a, a, a policeman. He Tell us about that. Uh, well, he was a, a policeman, worked his way up through the, um, the ranks and was a, a detective. He preferred to be uh, in plain clothes, as he referred to it, and was a sergeant detective um, um, at the end of his career. Wow, that must have been kind of exciting, was it? Well, as a kid, it wasn't exciting at all. It just meant that I had to really toe the line very carefully because <laughs> he had me be right. So what are some of the um, other areas of your family's legacy that are really important to you? Well, um, if I start, the most important thing, I suppose, is that, you know, my grandparents uh, were the children of freed slaves, and um, they moved the family to Long Island from South Carolina in 1922 as part of the, uh, the big black migration uh, north specifically so that um, the children, my, my father and, and his siblings, my aunts and uncles, could get an education. Because at that time, uh, black children were given just a couple of months of education, and um, she wanted them to have a full education. And all of them graduated high school, and the, uh, the younger ones, um, three of my aunts, I believe, were college graduates and had uh, graduate degrees, in fact, eventually in their life. So... Um, it, it, education was something that was very, very important to my family. And so how did that, how was that uh, interest in education that, you know, obviously your family really was wanting to lift you up, lift you, you know, lift up each generation. How was that reflected in your own life? <laughs> well, I remember uh, specifically um, one time I mentioned to my father, I think I was about 10 years old, I mentioned to, uh, to dad, well, I'm gonna, when I grow up, I'm going to be a policeman just like you. And I was shocked when he, when he said, no, you won't either. I stood on my father's shoulders so that, so that uh, I could do better and you will stand on, you, you stand on my shoulders so uh, you can do better and you'll do the same thing for your son or daughter when you grow up. So I was uh, had my marching orders to do the best I could and, and take that legacy forward. And so something happened. You had a life event 
that motivated you to consider becoming a doctor? Well, I was always pretty good in math and science, and so I was kind of interested. But um, what happened was in um, when I was a teenager, I was 16, uh, I had to have uh, open knee surgery, uh, as a, both, both knees, as it turned out. When you were 16? Yeah. That's yeah, pretty young. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of an ordeal, but I met uh, the surgeon. The orthopedic surgeon was just like the coolest gentleman I had ever met, uh, all dapper in his three-piece suits every day. And uh, he, I knew that when he was not operating, he was traveling. He went, to, he went to Bermuda. He went to Spain during that time that I, that I knew him. And I thought, well, it's a great combination here. I can make some money and, uh, and also have a great life. So I set out. Right. So you got into a pretty good college because why, how did you get into that good college? Well, I was, uh, you know, my parents made, made sure that I was a very diligent student. I did very well in, in high school. I was uh, president of the Honor Society and um, I don't know, I guess I was elected by my classmates in the yearbook as uh, most scholarly and does the most for school. And uh, so anyway, I, I um, was able to get into a very competitive school and um, had, a, had a great science education. It was demanding, but it was a great education. Yeah, and and you've always told me that, you know, you were just really good at school. Well, I was good at school. I really, I don't love school itself. Uh, I, I'm much more of a doer, and school is too much sitting. But uh, but I was good at it, and so yeah. I was. I just had to pursue what I was good at. I couldn't play in the NBA, so I had to. <laughs> I had to be good at school. The dream of every black young man, right? No oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So you um, you made a career choice, and then you know, tell us a little bit about how your career evolved. Um. Well. So I finished finished medical school, did my internship on Long Island, um, and then um, from there uh, I pursued getting an, an orthopedic residency and did not get the orthopedic residency that I wanted. Uh, it was a, at that same time that I learned that the Navy would uh, teach its they teach the flight surgeons to fly. And that really was one of my early dreams was uh, uh, my dad took me to the Blue Angels one time when I was a kid. And that was just stuck in the back of my mind that I wanted to fly jets. So um, I went in, the, went in the Navy and uh, served as uh, it for three years in active duty and two more years of uh, active reserves. Um, and that was when I got out and did my residency in anesthesia. So you you had I'm imagining quite a few uh, fun experiences maybe not fun but definitely being in the military and serving at that level is uh, full of adventure. Oh, it was full of adventure. Yeah, um, you know I got to experience um, high high speed maneuvers, um, much like when you watch the uh, performance teams do it. That's just routine um, Navy flying. Uh, I got to experience that in um, tactical jets, and um, and I really enjoyed flying helicopters. I that was my favorite to fly helicopters because I could it, because it was a dual stick aircraft. I got to fly uh, the the other seat, and the pilots would let me have have the stick. It's your, wow. it's your your aircraft, Doc. Oh wow! So you got to fly like Top Gun. That's right. <laughs> So cool. So you've been an anesthesiologist. You 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 did your residency in anesthesia once you left the Navy. And so, you know, as your wife for the last 20 years, it's been really fascinating to watch you um, how anesthesia has shaped you as a as a person. So, you know, how how would you help us understand what it's like to be an anesthesiologist and who you became? Hmm. Well, I'd say that the biggest part of being an anesthesiologist that became part of my life experience and my way of um, thinking and working has to do with uh, balancing risks versus benefits. Um, there is no such thing as a, as a no-risk an anesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um, each of the small choices that uh, your doctors make for you, your anesthesiologist as well as your surgeon, are really a balancing of um, what kind of risks are we willing, to, is this person willing to accept in order to have the, the potential uh, benefit. And so it's probably made, informed how I think about life. Mm. Um, I take I take risks in my life, and I'm willing to take those risks as long as the the risks are reasonable and the benefit is potentially high. So that's I think that's probably where I most where it most shows up. Yeah, and that's so fascinating because I actually have to understand that same um, ratio of risk versus benefits in you know my advice that I give to my clients. And, uh, you know, your, so your profession can really reflect uh, or, or impress on the kind of uh, personal choices that you make as well, because you get used to using your brain in a certain way. And then you find out whether you are good at, at, good at that or not good at that um, in terms of having somebody's, you know, a person like you have a patient, I have a client. And we uh, have that person's life in our hands and in our deci our decisions really impact uh, that person's quality of life. So, you know, maybe as you know, that's one of the reasons why you and I were ultimately attracted to each other. Could be because I get it that, that as a financial planner, you are balancing risk versus benefits. The other thing that, um, that I do as an anesthesiologist that's comparable to uh, financial management is that um, I know that this person really is depe depending on me. They're they're putting literally putting in my case putting their life in my hands, uh, and um, it's important for me to connect with them as a as an individual and really understand where where they're coming from and um, particularly take away their or reassure them at least uh, that we are. I'm going to be diligently taking care of the things that they're worried about because they do come to me with specific worries. And um, I, I have maybe more worries about them because I know more about what they're, what they're going to be doing. But I really need to relieve those concerns first and deal with those concerns first and foremost. So they have a good experience. Well, you know, of course, uh, I realize that I may have a bias here, but you have mentioned to me many, many times when patients have uh, written letters to your hospitals and uh, complimented you on the fact that they were able to trust you, that they were that they felt really, really great about the service you gave them. I see you smiling. Does that make you embarrassed? You're embarrassing me. <laughs> okay, so. Um, you've had an amazing career in medicine, but it wasn't a smooth sailing the entire time, right? There were some times when you actually took time off. Well, you know, like I said, I, I was really heartbroken when I didn't get that orthopedic residency that I um, I thought I thought I would really depended upon, I guess, and, and um, so I was heartbroken. But then when I learned that opportunity to go in the Navy and, and realize that dream, it turned out to be a positive thing. Uh, and then spending time uh, as a practicing doctor in the uh, military, I learned I didn't really want to be the orthopedic surgeon that I thought I wanted to be anyway. Anesthesia was turned out to be a much better fit for me as I, and I became, as I had time to get to know myself better, I realized that that was what would be more important for me. And I had some friends from medical school who made that recommendation to me and I I'm glad I took that opportunity, took that ch that chance. Yeah, it turned out to be such a rich experience for you. It turned out to be a rich experience. So, w what other times were you uh, taking a break? Sure. The next time that was uh, kind of a, a real break for me was uh, I was in practice in, in Iowa, and um, this was the first job I had out of residency. And uh, we had conflicts, the, the, the group that I was with uh, of anesthesiologists and the administration of the hospital had conflicts. We ended up uh, parting ways and um, I decided, well, I'll buff up some of my training. And I thought that I wasn't really as strong in uh, neurosurgical procedures as I would like to be. So I did the year-long year fellowship uh, back at NYU and um, was a great opportunity to get to 
live live in New York City? Was a big change back from Iowa to maybe back in New York City? And, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and um, turned out to be a, a crucial um, well, a crucial choice for me because uh, then I got recruited to Boise, Idaho, uh, because they needed a neurosurgical anesthesiologist, and that's how I found you. <laughs> Well, you know, what's uh, amazing when you look at it from a, a career trajectory and a life change, you grew up on Long Island, New York, and you kind of worked your way across the United States in your career in a way and ended up on the West Coast. So that must have been quite a bit of difference. You had to learn how you had to adjust to living in the West, I imagine. Well, absolutely. I, but it was, well, I, I'm really grateful that I've had the opportunity to live in different parts of this country. Um, and it's an amazing country, both geographically um, and, as well as uh, culturally. You know, the, just the things that, are, that people value and are important are just different each place. Um, the folks in Idaho are outdoor people and they are having fun in the woods. Um, I grew up uh, in, a, in a community that was based on, around the water and fishing, uh, you know, in the West, it was about hunting. And uh, mm -hmm. I got to experience some of all of that, and as well as the perspectives of people are different. And the, um, of course, of course the, the weather is different, but mm -hmm. uh, it really has been a, just a very enriching experience for me. Very, very grateful, I'm sure you are, for the, for all those experiences. So um, you got out to Boise and um, you got introduced to something that we, can, we call a personal development course. So help us understand how you found that and what that experience was like for you. Well, I suppose the next setback in my life, uh, in a lot of ways, was um, I had, I got divorced. Um, when around, you know, after being in Idaho for a couple of years, um, my, uh, my ex-wife and I, we just, uh, decided to part ways. We had, um, things, things weren't working. And I, um, in a lot of ways, I realized that, um, it was me who was, uh, uh, uh well, at least I was responsible for my part in, in causing that, uh, relationship not to work. I became aware of that personal development training and, um, and wanted to, um, evolve myself, evolve my, my ability to be in a relationship and uh, not to cause a uh, problem. And I caused problems for my first wife, I'll have to, I have to admit. So um, I did that training and it was, gosh, that was really was the best thing, best choice I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is where we met, was in Boise, Idaho, uh, doing this personal development work, although you did it much sooner than I did. But, um, you know, when you think about how somehow you were, you know, your life guided you to be at this place in time and my life guided me to be in the same place in time. It's sort of like a kismet of our meeting. It was, you know, I like to be the romantic woman that says, oh, it was our destiny. So uh, we have a fun story about actually how we noticed each other within this group of personal development um people. Would you like to start that story? I'll interrupt you if I have to. No, okay. Well, <laughs> that's what we do at cocktail parties too. I guess, <laughs> hey, I'm a guy. The first thing I, I noticed about you was you were darn cute. <laughs> but uh, we had great conversations. We got uh, got to know each other a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, we, we had these deep conversations just from our initial meeting practically. Um, and then um, one of my nurse friends mentioned that uh, in a fundraising that was going on, uh, that you would be auctioned off as, as a date. And I showed up with my checkbook. <laughs> well, and it, it was, again, another one of those chance meetings because you were being told that I would be uh, auctioned off. It was a bachelor bachelorette auction, which was a little unusual, but you know, it was all in fun and all for a good cause. So you wanted to have a date with me. And then the person who asked me to participate in that auction told me that you might be there. 
And having had only a couple of conversations with you, I knew, wow, that would be really interesting if I were to go on a date with an African-American, which I grew up in Idaho and we didn't have, uh, Af- we, did, we just had white people in, in my hometown. So, I mean, it was a little bit, you know, risque and maybe uh, uh, I was wondering what people would think. But of course, what we found right away from our meeting is that we just had so much in common. It's really kind of kind of almost strange that we had such a similar um, value system that was placed on uh, on us by our parents or taught to us by our parents. It really ended up being so similar, uh, even though we're so far apart geographically, so far apart culturally, and um, as as you mentioned, racially. Yeah. So it was really wonderful to, because uh, I had been divorced as well, and you had been divorced, and luckily we had both come to the conclusion that in order to have successful relationships, which was something we both wanted, we would have to really focus on what it was that we weren't, that we didn't get, that we weren't contributing to the relationship. And I'd like to say it in terms of taking full responsibility taking responsibility for my part. And so I feel like we knew that from the first minute we went on that date and we proceeded to carry that forward from that moment on. Well, I I like to take credit for the getting us off on the right foot. Uh, That on that very first date, I had um, invited you to dinner, dinner and a play and, um, I realized the day before that I had double booked with um, because I had um, my daughter uh, with me uh, that evening. That was my, my time to be with my daughter up until playtime. So I had to um, admit that I had messed up and that we I owed you dinner. And, um, and then you subsequently then fessed up to something that you had going on in your life. So we started off. We started off on a, on a good foot, being completely honest and accountable. Absolutely. And of course, you know, another uh, really, really um, meaningful component to our relationship is that we both brought people with us to our to our union. Oh, boy, did we. So I had a, I had uh, my Down syndrome brother had been living with me for six years before that. And then, and subsequently, lived with us the rest the rest of his uh, natural life. Um, I also, as I mentioned, his daughter. I had um, daughter from a previous relationship, although not a biological daughter. She was uh, adopted daughter first, uh, first not so legally, but then eventually legal adoption. When she when she was old enough to ask me to adopt her. Right. Right. And of course, I had my two children. Uh, I have a daughter and a son. And it was so um, wonderful to see how they initially started off skeptical and even a bit negative about the possibilities of our family, you know, of, of these two separate families becoming one family. And uh, they've just become, of course, very fast siblings, even living together as adults for a short time. So we've been together now for 20 years. And part of way, what motivates my work with my clients and on this podcast and so on is to be a, you know, be represent what I believe to be the components of a happy, healthy, uh, wealthy life. And that really is about having a successful relationship of some sort. And um, so, so you know, what do you attribute to the success of our relationship? Well, I think that we've, be, we've certainly, the, let me talk for myself. Sure. My, my commitment to you has always been to help you figure out what the things are that are important to you and to help you see them through to the end. Um, and um, I feel like you do the same for me. But uh, that one single point focus really has, has served me well in, um, in figuring out what, what next to do with you, especially since you tend to be a, a very uh, directed passion person <laughs> is how I like to think of it. And uh, so um, the ideas come and we just get to go. 
Well, and, and yeah, I do think that we support each other's dreams. We support what the other one uh, really desires to experience in their life. And that has been, uh, I think a lot of our friends have often wondered how we make that work. Because, you know, uh, we don't always live in the same house because you have adventures and travels that you want to participate in. And I have a commitment to a business in one location. So I, I feel incredibly gratified and grateful that we've been able to to weather some of the challenges that other couples may not have been able to do that. And of course, because of that modeling, uh, we we have helped our, our children. We've kind of set a high bar for them. Well, they are, they are goal they're goal oriented, directed, hardworking career people. It means that we aren't grandparents as quickly as we wanted to make one of <laughs> wanted to, but uh, but the kids are doing great in their respective careers, and I'm very happy for that. All right, so let's take a little break, and um, when we come back, Gordon and I are going to be continuing to talk about our own thoughts around how we've created a wealthy relationship, and we're going to reveal um, our beliefs around what is the one major foundational piece that's so important for a long-term and wealthy relationship. So stay with us. We'll be right back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant. Navigating a path to increase your income is a critical part of women's pursuit of her own financial independence. Having a personalized financial plan gives a woman confidence that she knows where she is going and how to get there. We've all heard the saying, life is what happens when you are planning something else. Navigating life's changes is all a part of pursuing a wealthy life. Visit ReinventingHerMoney.com and click on Schedule to set up a time to chat. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. And welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her. Today, we're speaking to my husband, Gordon Lieutenant, and we're having a great conversation around how the uh, uh, his early life and how we first met and what we have learned about being successful in a long-term relationship. So, Gordon, you know, we were, we were talking before about how we have certain sort of foundational principles that we really believe and we've learned by being together for so long you know we've learned that this is how we stay happy together how we continue to grow our relationship so let's brainstorm about some of those things and just share them with our listeners so what is maybe the first thing that you that comes to your mind that you think really contributes to this long-term successful relationship well, I'd say that principle one, number one for me has got to be trust. Um, the thing I failed to, to do in my first marriage was to um, just support and keep that, keep that trust absolutely strong. Um, trust is the, um, I think it's the cornerstone for, uh, for a full relationship and a ha happy relationship, in fact. Um, uh, so trust. Well, and when you think about trust, uh, you know, a lot of people just throw that word around. It's just like, oh, yeah, I trust her. I trust him. But it really is very fragile. Uh, you, when you've been with somebody for a long time and you're as intimate as we are in terms of how we communicate, I think we've learned that uh, trust is something that we really need to protect. Well, the thing I, I learned is that, you know, Trust is like porcelain, you know, it, when it is intact, it is strong, it is beautiful. Um, and um, 
It really doesn't take that much though to fracture it. And once it's fractured, it can never be put back together the same way. It has to be protected uh, at all costs. And I guess really the most important way that I think that we protect that trust is we tell each other the things that are the hard things to say so that so that you know that I am in um, in my full integrity with everything that I say and do with you um, and that you can therefore rely upon it and and trust in it because you have experienced me saying stuff that you know I don't want to say to you. Well, that's it, isn't it? It isn't just about whether we're, um, you know, clean and I mean, whether we whether we s keep our word or not. It's much bigger than that. It, it trust is in every communication that we have, every decision that we make together. And uh, we talk about our trust and, and we've made it a focus of our relationship so that we make sure that we're aware that we actually are making decisions to support it. So, you know, we are also very committed to not having discord in our relationship, aren't we? Um, I think one of the things that you mentioned early in the interview is how you like you cleaned up uh, something that you felt awkward about in the very first date we have. So, how you know, how do you look at that um, commitment to not having discord or uh, disagreements in our relationship? How do I look to it? Well, I guess um, the principal thing is that when I, when, and if, if I'm upset with you about something that has, that has transpired between us, the first thing I do is try to go to a, go to a neutral corner <laughs> and, uh, and think about what it, what it was that really you know, got me, hacked me off, um, and 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 try to get to the core of what it really is, as opposed to um, trying to win the argument or the the, 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 right. the disagreement. Really, more a matter of what it, what is it that went wrong between us that made us not be able to communicate on the same level with each other, and um, that's kind of what I that's really is the the core i think of how we how we're able to maintain that relationship well you know we had to learn i don't know exactly when i learned this but i had to learn that being wanting to be right is how you create more discord in a relationship um and i think it's a tendency that we all have that we want to be right we want to be the ones that um really have has that okay i'm the best i'm i'm right about this but you have to be willing to let go of being right for the better for the sake of the relationship so that the relationship can remain strong and trustworthy oh i hate to, i hate it when i have to admit that i'm the one who was <laughs> wrong and have to apologize but but i try to do so immediately um it's just so much easier to get to go ahead and get it get it over with apologize i was mistaken and Hopefully we can just move right on to whatever's next. Well, of course, you know, the reality is, is that we don't always just move right on. I mean, this this actual point is one of the things that you and I do have a bit of struggle because we are opinionated. We're both strong. We have, uh, you know, we, we are people who go for our dreams and we live life to the fullest. So, of course, we're going to have strong opinions and want to be right. But we know this about each other. And we respect that each one of us makes this a goal. Absolutely. To not to not be to not carry things to not you know hold on to anger uh, to to uh, work through our emotional life because you know I I say on this show I've talked about it in other um, interviews is that we have an emotional life and those emotions can be quite strong and they come out when we have events or conversations or relationships and those emotions can be pretty big and they can get in the way of harmony in a relationship but you know you and I are are dedicated to to understanding our own emotions very very much so and you know being committed to being right really is what um what it, for at least for myself, I've made uh, let myself go to name calling or accusations and and those and bringing up things that are really unrelated to the present discussion, um, in order to 
quote unquote, win the argument. And, um, you know, it is, uh, it's never, a, it's never a win-win situation. It, you, you've all, it's always something that is lost permanently when you get into name calling and accusations about past past um, problems. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And, you know, when you talk about win-win, <laughs> you know, what my, uh, when I made my uh, marriage vows to you, which of course we wrote our own vows, and when I made those marriage vows to you, we were not in a church, but they, to me, were as meaningful, they were sacred to me. And one of those vows, of course, was for us to stay married for as long as we were alive. Uh, and the reason that I made that vow to you was because I wanted to become the person who had a successful marriage for 30, 40 years and beyond. At that time, I had not had a long-term successful marriage. And I really wanted to grow into that, that older woman with the gray hair and the wrinkles that had a, an old man with wrinkles standing beside me and that we had experienced so much of life together. Well, I get that. Um, not so sure that I was uh, so focused on the forever. I certainly was, um, I don't know, I had um, rose-colored glasses, I guess, in some, some ways. But, um, but I do know that um, being committed to a marriage over a long period of time really is a being committed to making the choice each morning, okay, this is when I, I'm committed to this marriage now. Okay, I'm committed to this marriage now at lunchtime. I'm committed to this marriage now at dinner time. I'm committed to this marriage, and and, and it really does have to be just that. Um, at least for me, it has to be that much of a of a uh, commitment, almost moment to moment. I mean, certainly it's not. I'm not aware of it being moment to moment, but but it really is choosing in again and again, and um, and being there with whatever is transpiring between us in that moment. Uh, and then, and then, before you know it, poof, twenty years. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, and when I think about this as we talk about it, I remember those moments when I had something that was going on in my older relationships, and I decided to go out the door instead of standing in the fire of the disagreement or and you know at the time you know I was much younger of course but it was because I wasn't getting my way and I you know I bailed on relationships because they weren't the way I wanted them to be and you know I do think that can be a tendency is that if I'm not getting my way or I'm and on the big things then I'm just going to abandon this relationship but we we've come across many times in our relationship where we were up against that uh, not getting your way in a really big thing, uh, but we just decided to not to be okay with that. And I think that's how you grow in a relationship is when you say, okay, I'm going to let the other person have their way and I'm going to adjust myself in order for the harmony and the long-term nature of the relationship and the and increased intimacy, right? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, it really does require both parties being the ones who each one uh, being willing to sacrifice. Um, you know, I always I always say, uh, if we would all give more than we receive, we'd all receive more than we can give. And that when I first time I heard that, it just kind of blew my mind because I realized, wow, there's a lot of truth to that, even though it would seem to be inherently impossible. But if both of both of us are focused on giving to the other, neither one of us needs to resort to taking. And so we are always in the situation of of, of taking care of the other. And um, I, I just it's a it's a it's a um, oh, what is it is a blessed spiral an up an up an upward spiral. spiral yes exactly exactly and of course because we've been committed to that and of course we learned that in our own personal development some of the teachings that we've both had but when you are committed to giving more so that then you you give up having to control what you receive you actually you know we actually do receive so much more by by focusing that way it really is one of those 
um, truisms about life. And, you know, the other thing that you and I have learned that I, I feel very proud about is that we've learned to limit our codependency. Um, and of course, I, I describe codependency as uh, taking responsibility for another person's emotions and expecting them to be responsible for yours. Um, and then, of course, you can you can you obviously you can manipulate other people when you are messing around in their emotions. But we really try to process our own emotions and don't expect that that um, to be soothed or taken care of. Can add a add a thing to that. That was beautifully said, my dear. Well, thank you. Um, but you know. Codependency is the way a lot of people are raised, and it's 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 something that you can learn to um, have less in your life. I think it's always with us, you know. It always can show its its face from time to time. Um, but uh, uh, we also are very committed to having a diverse life in our activities and so on. How how do you describe our our life? And and that's what I a wealthy life is a diverse life. Well, we have indeed had have a have had a diverse life, haven't we? So, in um, in our twenty years together, we have um, gee, uh, how many residences have we had? We have right. lived in ten ten different homes, and um, we each have um, pursued well it, as a result of each of us pursuing our respective careers. Each each time we made a different choice and um, and moved uh, in order to support. You know, either my my uh, advancement or your advancement. Um, that has been one one big part of our diversity. The other part is we um, we both love adventure and meeting new people and going new places. And so we've done a lot of um, well, we've done a lot of national travel. We've been back and forth across the United States multiple times, and Hawaii and Alaska included. And then yeah. uh, done a little bit of international travel as well. And um, I look forward to doing way more international travel as uh, as time permits us. Since when we're no longer pursuing these careers as actively as we we are right now, we've been building our respective careers, and um, that's been well. We're mature now as as on our careers. That's right. We we have been very fortunate to have long and successful careers, and of course, you know, part of that has been our inner desire to give, like you were saying before in that beautiful saying, if we would all give more than we receive. You know, we're givers. We want other, we want to uh, support other people to become more of who they are because we've been so fortunate to grow and become the people that we are. And I don't say that from an egotistical place. I say it from uh, recognizing. Gratitude. Yeah, gratitude and, and recognizing all that I've been given because of who I have pursued uh, to become more of, really more of myself, using more of my talents that I was born with, gaining more skills along the way. And um, I know each one of us give differently to people. We support people differently. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, there's something else that we're really committed to, uh, to create a wealthy relationship, and um, that is what we do in the evening. My favorite part of the Well, day. that didn't sound good, did it? Okay, well, I'm not getting to that point, but, uh, yeah. you know, what, what I want us to describe is our wind-down time. I understand. Well, what, what we do do every evening is, the, is that we, we, we go to bed and we cuddle and we talk mm -hmm. and um, there's something about those barriers being down and kind of, I guess, probably usually the light, the lights are at least dim, if not, if not off this time of year, they're not quite as uh, dark as, as it is <laughs> other times of the year, certainly. But um, we spend time really re re in, in personal revelation to each other, revealing it ourselves to each other. But I, but I also find that I, reveal a lot to myself about myself when I'm when I'm sharing with you um, in that time and we um, I mean we have to make ourselves roll over and go to sleep uh, a, a lot of times and stop talking because uh, we have we do have to get up and get back to our, our work but that really is my favorite part of the day we really um, you know a lot of these ideas we've spoken about um, here we 
of kind of honed in that place um, and um, you know reevaluate things that we learned during the day and and um, where we need to go in the future and it really has been um, the foundation for the real the fun and the closeness in our in our relationship I'd say absolutely and you know as we we get to the end of our time i would just you know say that because of that intimacy that we are continually pursuing because we guard our tr the trust that we have in each other you know so carefully and because we're so committed to supporting each other's life individually and that brings us together more as a couple so uh, and we did just celebrate our 20 year wedding anniversary and both of us are very proud of that. And I know that we're excited to share the next 20 years or more with each other. So thank you so much, Gordon, for being with us today. I hope you come back and tell us more stories about your adventures as uh, you move on past your day to day career into retirement. You're going to have lots of wonderful things you do in your life and I hope to be part of those too. And next week, our guest will be Karen Ray, founder of an online magazine called Fave Lifestyles. Now, she's a survivor of going through five major life transitions, all within a very short period of time. And Karen and I are going to talk about how to create a wealthy life during troubling times, during challenges. So thank you for listening and being a part of our Wealthy Life for Her mission. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you've listened today. And if you enjoyed yourself, please share the podcast with your friends and family. I want to thank our stepdaughter, my stepdaughter and Gordon's daughter, Alexis Lieutenant Gregory, who composed our beautiful theme music. Eric Burris, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW 1150 AM. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube under Teresa Lieutenant. And you can check out our financial fitness quiz on my website, reinventinghermoney.com. Remember, ladies, that financial independence is your birthright. With the right education and empowerment and the right financial advice, you can overcome any financial challenge and create a wealthy life on your terms. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. I believe that every woman is born to live her own personal dreams of a wealthy life. And I call the process of getting the dream out of your mind and into your reality, reinvention. I'm inviting you, the everyday woman, to make a decision to pursue your dreams. That's what I did. I uncovered the dreams that I was born to pursue and learned how to create those dreams with commitment and passion. I'll help you get your money in shape for your dream quest. Join my mailing list at reinventinghermoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at reinventinghermoney.com.